continuing our, our series of the untouchables. And, and it's really interesting. The more that, that God lays these things on my heart, the more I see how the, the untouchables are sometimes touched on by the church, but it's a very narrow-gauged perspective. And, and it, it's almost one of those moments that I think is driven people out of the church and and keeps people keeping the church at arm's length because they're they're so convinced that that they will be judged on one small area of their life and they wouldn't be loved and accepted in a church and i i want you to understand that uh this is not an easy and none of them have been easy messages to preach, but this one's especially difficult because uh, I grew up being taught things that were loosely based on Scripture, and they were taught in such black and white ways until I began to really study the Word of God for myself. I took the Word of man as black and white, this is the Word of God. And, and that's something that I want us to be really leery of. Don't just take my word for it as a pastor when I share something with you. Get in the word of God and let the spirit of God reveal it to you. Because God made you unique and special and beautiful and wonderful. And he's going to open his word to you in unique and powerful ways. And the, the beautiful thing about the Word of God, and, and Eddie kind of hit on this lightly, you know, in, in the opening of Sunday school, is that the, the main things, the things that matter from the Word of God most, the most important things, your relationship with Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, the fact that He rose from the dead, the facts you can go get in any church. Any church that is really a, a church that is worshiping Jesus, you'll get the facts there. Now, how they view some of the other things, you know, and, and all these things that Scripture talks about that will be added to you will vary from place to place. And it will vary from person to person. And that's going to become really something we have to be careful of here in a minute because what... What I may look at and look at through the lens of Scripture is acceptable because of the way Dale was raised may not be acceptable in Dale's sight. And are either of us wrong? According to the Word of God, no. But what I'm responsible for is I, I have to know my brother well enough to know that this is something he would find deeply offensive. Don't do that next to him. Just like he doesn't come and yell boomer sooner in my ear. And I don't yell pistols firing in his ear. Okay, that, that's the easy outside demonstration. But, you know, I went for almost a whole year without eating sugar. And I never once screamed at somebody for eating a donut in my presence. Because that wasn't their choice to make. Okay, and, and as we start to look at the untouchable thing today, uh, again, I, I want you to understand that it's not something that was dealt heavily with in Scripture. 
And that's where it gets tough for us because you'll hear people preach like it is dealt heavily with that is the most important thing that Jesus ever said. And that crawls on me as a minister of the gospel that, that we take little bitty things. And, and I'll tell you the truth behind that is people want to sit on their own seat of judgment instead of letting God be God. We want to look at other people's sin, and we'll talk about it again next week because next week's the real tough one. This one's tough, but next week we're going to kick it to a whole nother level, and children's, children are going to have children's church because uh, the adults are going to talk, and it's going to be tough. So if you want to skip a week, that's the one. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and then we got a few laughs. But most churches don't talk about this untouchable subject because it, it, it makes people uncomfortable. Addiction. Churches don't like to talk about it. Just saying the word made some of you bristle a little bit. Because if we did the raise your hand thing, we could easily get every hand in the crowd to go up by how many of you have your life has been touched through yourself or someone you know through addiction hands would just go flying up because it's it's something that's so widespread in our world but it's it's uncomfortable and the church kind of shies away from talking about it because we might offend somebody or because somebody may have really strict beliefs on it somebody may have really loose beliefs and we don't want to cause strife in the church and I just want a quick sidebar on that. Iron doesn't sharpen iron by occasionally tapping it. Okay? When we don't agree on things and it rubs you the wrong way, I want you to understand friction is how iron sharpens iron. And, and the person who rubs you the wrong way will never know your side of that friction if you're not honest and tell them, hey, you know, I don't really believe it that way, but let's look at the Word of God together. And if all else fails, we're going to remember the one truth. We're called to love each other. If we can't agree on it, we're still going to love each other. Like, there is nothing Dale can do that will make me stop loving him, even if he screams boomer sooner in my ear. Okay, he might be just doing it because I'm hard of hearing, but there, there's nothing he can do to change the perspective of the love of God that I have for him. Okay, there, there's nothing that, that Denise can do in our marriage that can make me stop loving her. She can't be, even if it's in her own eyes, she's a bad wife. She can't be a bad enough wife to make me quit loving her. Because the love I have for her is not born out of my fleshly desires. It's born out of the love of God. And I love her like Christ loves the church. Which means I'll lay my life down for her. Get rid of what I want and make her life be all that it can be for him. Addiction. I had to go look and, and think about it a long time. Why don't we talk about it? Because if you're in the middle of addiction, there's a heavy dose of shame that covers you. If there's somebody in your family that's addicted to something, you, you don't want to share, you don't want to talk about that. You don't want that talked about because it might shine that light on your family. And, you know, we're, we're quoting Disney movies this morning. It brings dishonor to whole family, Mulan. Much better movie than Little Mermaid, but anyway. 
historically accurate. Okay, we'll keep going. We're afraid to talk about addiction because it's too close to home. It's too close to home. And, and, and I, I can bring it even closer to home for you that everyone in this room is addicted to something. And people are like, oh, no, don't start listing it. I, I'll readily admit to you, I'm a recovering sugar addict. I fall off the wagon a lot. And people are like, well, sugar's not that bad. Sugar's the leading chemical that causes cancer, folks. It's not tobacco and nicotine. It's sugar. There's good science to back that up. Doesn't mean I'm going to quit eating it. I'm going to try. I'm addicted to coffee. It's right here in the pulpit with me. And it's not the coffee. It's the caffeine. I, I tried going without caffeine. The court date is pending. No, no, that, that's a t-shirt. That's not for real. But it, it's too close to home if we really think about it. We're afraid it's going to offend somebody. Addiction is often misunderstood. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, we're, we're going to talk just briefly this morning. We're not going to open this whole thing up because the purpose of this series was for you to understand that you can go into the Word of God for anything, even the stuff that churches struggle to talk about. And if you need to talk to me about it, I'm not a professional counselor, but I am very versed in the Word of God, and I will sit and, and go through the Word of God with you, and I will walk through it with you. I'll, I'll walk through the messy stuff in life with you because that's what I'm called to do as your pastor. It feels judgmental to talk about it. That seems to come up every week, but is that not the the essence of our culture? If you disagree with something that you're judgmental? That, that's how the people outside of this room view anything that contradicts what makes them feel good. Oh, you're just being judgmental. And, and just like last week, one size doesn't fit all. Because there, there's people in the room that when I said you're addicted to sugar, they're like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not addicted to it. Well, it's in everything you eat for the most part, so... Good luck getting it out of there. And if you want to try, it's a great challenge. Go 16 days and see what your body does. Okay, about day 13, weird things start happening in your body when you actually eliminate sugar. Okay, by day 16, you get this weird copper metallic taste in your mouth. It's not fun. But that's at the point where it actually hit what science calls the detoxification stage. If you make it to day 30, you've gotten all of the ill effects of the previous 30 days of sugar out of your system, and then you're actually able to start processing food normally. But anyways, out of science, I'm getting the move on. Look. Again, I looked at Webster's from 1828. Addiction, according to 1828, is the act of devoting or giving up in practice the state of being devoted. Now think about, you know, the addictions that come to mind when I say addictions. And have you ever thought about how devoted to that act people are? I mean, there's some real scary addictions out there where people, you know, lie, steal, cheat, kill, murder in order to be able to pay for their addiction. And I'm just talking about like stock show people. No, no, 
No, I, that's not fair. Travel ball people. Whoa, no, no, no. Okay. Uh, the second definition was the one that stood out to me. Among the Romans, a, a making over goods to another by sale or legal sentence, also an assignment of debtors in the service of their creditors. To be an addict in ancient Rome meant that you had sold yourself for a price. You had initially put yourself into slavery. I can't think of a better picture of what addiction actually looks like than to be slave to something. And, and whether that's slave to putting something into your body or the use of your body for something, uh, try not to go off in the weeds there, but the, I had to go and that's the act itself is addiction. So what is an addict? And and if you go to addict, it changes the definition just a little bit in Webster's. It says, to apply oneself habitually, to devote time and attention by customary or constant practice, sometimes in a good sense. Anybody addicted to something good? I am. I'm, addi I'm addicted to some really good things. Okay? I can tell you without fail, if I fail to read the Word of God, that I feel withdrawal symptoms. Okay? My whole day goes bad. I, I get a little shaky sometimes if I don't start my day with the Word of God. I'm addicted to hugs from my children. I'm terrified of the day that they all hit that age where they don't hug dad anymore. I'm going to go through some bad withdrawals. But in Corinthians, Paul advises us to be addicted. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Steadfast means you continually do this. Immovable. You can't be taken out of that behavior pattern. Always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Anybody addicted to sharing the gospel? We should be. And that's the good side of addiction because all we ever hear a priest about is a bad thing. Addiction is a bad thing. Addiction. Addiction is bad. I want to be addicted to sharing the gospel. Best addiction we can find. But more usually, second definition, in a bad sense, to follow customarily or devote by habitually practicing that which is ill as a man addicted to intemperance, which for those of you that don't speak 1800s, that is a person who is addicted to getting drunk on alcohol. <clears throat> to addict oneself to a person, a sense borrowed from the Romans who used the word assigning debtors to the service of their creditors, meaning that you sold yourself for a price. You sold yourself for a loan. You sold yourself into slavery, which I don't have time to chase this rabbit, but the, the large percentage of the first, <clears throat> how to say this politically correct, uh, white people, Caucasians that came to the new world came as indentured servants. They came as slaves for the first seven to 13 years. 
the first slaves in the continental U.S. were white people. That's not me being racist. Slavery was a lot different looking, but slavery is slavery is slavery. It was an evil institution. Slavery to any substance or thought pattern outside of what God has called you to is an evil, evil entity. Proverbs 20 verse 1 warns us that wine is a mocker and strong drink a brawler. And, and some translations have taken that and said beer, which that is not what the, the ancient uh, Hebrew says. Matter of fact, beer was not even invented uh, when, when Proverbs was written. So I, I have a little trouble with that. And, and it's not because I love beer, okay? Don't, don't get confused there. You know, it's, one of, it's a great cooking tool too, but um, whoever is led astray by it is not wise, okay? What if you get to the intent of what Solomon's talking about? Because what, what does he start off with? Wine is a mocker and strong drink a brawler. You're, you're going to these substances and when you use them in excess, it alters your state of mind. By that thought and that definition, there's a whole lot of things that are just as addicting as what we, because it says wine, we get, you know, teetotalers that beat the, beat the horn there that that's the evil. Wine is evil. No, wine's not evil. Beer is not evil. Just like a loaded gun here is not a killer. It's a substance. It's a tool. It's how you use it. Anybody have cooking wine in their cabinet? Don't raise your hand. You know, I'm not going to ask you, do you have regular wine in your cabinet? Because the, the cold hard truth of it is it's none of my business. It's none of my business. If you drink a glass of wine, guess what? That's scriptural too. And we'll get to that here in a minute. The, the point in which we go from what we consume is just something we consume a little bit of because we like it. The point it becomes addiction is when you can't live without it. When you can't get through your day without thinking about it, when you're giving it time and, and money and attention that's drawing you away from the calling that God has on your life. I don't know. Man, that's small on my screen. I'm going to cheat, okay? Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. I love the emphasis that Paul puts in there of, of don't get drunk on it. Don't get drunk on it. And what's that following immediately? You know, it's saying, don't waste time. Man, ouch. <laughs> that one hurts. Anybody besides me great at wasting time? 
I'm a phenomenal time waster. I, I can sit down and, and start messing around with something that has nothing to do with the rest of my day and look up and it's like the clock just started spinning while I wasn't looking. It's like there was an extra fan in the room, the clock went so fast. Anybody else have that problem? Okay, mostly teenagers and me. Well, hey, we're all right. We can ADD together. It'll be great. But <clears throat> we, when I looked at that this morning, it seems like so much of the time when I was in church, as a young kid, the, the point that was driven home about that verse was the evil of wine instead of the evil of drunkenness. And, and even more so that that's not even the whole point. The whole point is don't be giving away the time that God's given you to this other stuff. You're letting that stuff rule your time. And then I begin to think of other addictions. Everybody brace yourself. Get your toes off the floor. It's going to hurt. The television. How much of it do I give my time? About to weep. A cell phone. How much of it do I give my time? Ow. We can keep listing it, but I don't have to. The Spirit of God will list that in your head saying, this is where you're giving away your time. You're addicted to something. Don't act like you're not addicted to it. I'm addicted to Christian Amish romance novels. <laughs> They're Christian. And, oh, I stepped on toes over. <laughs> but what about when, when we get what Paul's saying here, instead of filling our life with that stuff, be filled with the Spirit of God. Desire that your addiction would be to God and being in His presence and being full of His Spirit so that you can speak life into this dark and dying world that is trapped in addiction. It's trapped in cycles and patterns of sin and abuse and neglect in their own life because no one has walked through that open door of their cell and they don't realize the door was opened. Jesus died on the cross and opened the door to the cell of every addiction where all you have to do is grab him by the hand and walk out. But there's a world full of people that don't know that because as Christians, we get addicted to spending our time and our passion on other things. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. This verse hurts me every time I read it. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Why do I want to be addicted to the things of God? Because Jesus bought me with a price. That same definition we looked at that we put in such a negative light, I'm bought with a price. I want to be addicted or attached to the one who paid that price. Dare I say, I want to be a slave 
to Jesus Christ. Because James, his very own brother, identifies himself as a slave to Jesus. If it was good enough for his biological brother, it's good enough for me. I'm going to take that title. I'm going to be a slave. Because slavery to Jesus is not an evil institution. It's a, it's a doorway to the high seat at the table in the kingdom. We don't have time to get into that statement. But the, the one that threw me so hard because I, I had grown up just believing that the actual substance was the problem, Paul tells Timothy, no longer drink only water, but drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Paul was hundreds of years ahead of medical science. Number one thing to help with heart trouble, to help prevent heart disease, is a small glass of red wine before you go to bed. It's the number one naturally prescribed thing out there. Now, it's a small glass, it's not a bottle and a half. Okay? Your heart's going to feel something else at that point. But think about, you know, and I was looking at just a, a list of facts. I thought about bringing facts about addictions, and that's not where God wanted us to go. But the, the number one addicting substance in the U.S. is, is just drugs for pain. Painkillers that were prescribed to help people with physical ailment. If, if I go to the doctor for tweaking my knee this week, he's probably going to write me a script for pain pills. I probably won't go fill it because ibuprofen is knocking it down. Why would I go get something stronger if I don't need it? I won't put that in my body when I need it. Believe me, I've had three knee surgeries and sometimes you need it, I put it in my body. And I didn't like the way it felt. I liked that my knee didn't hurt, but everything else felt weird. You ever been down that road? That's not fun. But we tend to attach sin to objects rather than the real issue. The condition of our heart. Addiction like everything else we've mentioned in the untouchables is a matter of the heart. Why do people drink themselves unconscious? Because they want to change their state of mind and, and feel something different than they're feeling in this moment. Why, why do people lose themselves in hours and hours of binge watching a show? Because they want to step out of the reality they live in and live in a fantasy world. Why do some people eat and eat and eat and eat until they can't eat anymore and then they go ahead and have dessert? It's because that they find their comfort in that food. It's a state of their heart. Addiction, and, and we're not even jumping into some of the realm that uh, addiction will resurface next week but it all ties back to an issue of the heart. Paul said in Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. 
All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. That's one of the most powerful verses I think Paul ever wrote in talking about the the addicting power of substances in our world. Did Paul ever outline and say, hey, you know, you can't have sugar. Sorry, Jeff, you can't have it. No. Go eat some sugar. Today, when we go to Maggie's, I'm eating sugar. I'm, I ain't gonna lie. I'm gonna have some sugar. And when we get home, guess what's still at home? Birthday cake and ice cream. I'm gonna eat some sugar. All things are lawful for me. It's, it's not forbidden to me. But all those things aren't necessarily helpful. When I get up at 4.30 in the morning to go lift, I will regret the cake and the ice cream and everything we eat for lunch today. I'll regret it because it's not helpful. But I won't be dominated by anything. There, there are substances that are out there in this world that I won't even try. Not because I think they're, they're just so horribly repulsive in the eyes of God, but because I know my body and I know that I would be hopelessly addicted to them. That it would just take one and I'd be hooked. And, and that was the, the nature of the, the D.A.R.E. program back in the day. They, they had you convinced that if you smoked one joint, you would be hopelessly addicted to marijuana. Of course, the 90s were a weird era. They, they really were, you know, that everything was really dramatic. You know, if, I, I was so scared at one point that if I kissed a girl, I would get HIV back in the 90s because it was such a big deal. And drugs were such a big deal. You didn't use phone, the, the pay phones because somebody might have put a drug needle in the return chain slot, which makes no sense. But stuff like that. And, and I was dominated in the 90s a lot by fear. First Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you, that you may be able to endure it. I love that God's word doesn't just leave us hanging thinking that that temptation and, and addiction and struggle are, are, are the only thing out there. And that it's new. Okay? What's the first thing that Satan came to tempt Jesus with after he fasted 40 days and nights in the desert? He tempted him with food. Is, sin, is food sinful? Praise God, no. But Jesus showed that he was not going to be dominated by anything. With every temptation, He will provide a way of escape. The stuff that tempts us. If, if you're tempted to spend too many hours watching TV, there, there is in the settings a timer. You can set a timer that shuts your TV off. It's a great thing. 
Now back in the day, that timer was dad's foot kicking you in the rear and you go up and mash the knob in. Cell phone, you can program how many hours you get to use it. You can lock stuff up on your cell phone that you can't get to it. And we'll talk more about that next week. And we have these amazing things around town called dumpsters. If you're really worried you can't stop doing it, throw it in a dumpster. Most of us are too proud to dive in a dumpster after it. I'm not throwing our sugar in the dumpster. Chill out. Just give me a look. But remember this, that God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. I want people to recognize our church as a place that, that if they're struggling with addiction, if they're struggling with identity, if they're, they're struggling, they can come here and know that we're not going to condemn them. That, that we're going to love them like Jesus loves them. And, and we're going to support them and help them walk through the dark valleys of addiction and, and help them. And get them help if it's beyond our ability to get them on a path that will help them. Because the world needs to know that there are still people out there that care. That you're not lost and alone or stuck in addiction. And the only way they know that is if we push past a little bit of our own hang-ups. And I'm not telling you if you struggled with alcohol that you need to go preach in the bar. That's not what I'm telling you. But I'm telling you if you don't have a problem with alcohol, go make friends with the people at the Brandon Iron. Go find the drunkest person there and sit down with them for a while and just have a conversation. You don't have to preach at them. You don't have to tell them anything about Jesus. One of those moments where, you know, we talked about when Jesus revealed himself to his disciples after he resurrected, people didn't recognize him because, hey, he shouldn't have been there. Let me tell you, when I walked into the Brandon Iron, there were people that had that look on their face. They're like, that dude's a preacher. And some of them shuffle uncomfortably. And, and I don't want them to be uncomfortable unless they really feel guilty about what they're doing and then we'll have that conversation. I want them to know that God so loved the world enough that I'm gonna walk into the places that, that generations before me said were so sinful you can't take the gospel there because that's just dumb. Jesus brought the gospel into a world full of sin. I'm not saying I'm gonna go throw back a six pack with them but I'm gonna walk in, I'm gonna share the Word of God. I'm gonna share the presence of God in the middle of their stuff. Because sometimes they just need to see that you're not gonna judge them. And guess what? God will plant seeds and eventually those seeds sprout and they get brave enough to walk in here where some people are still gonna look at them like, whoa, you don't belong here. I hope we don't look at them that way, but we're human. And then we love on them like they would love on us in their environment. And suddenly you get to share the gospel. And the gospel, when you get to share it and you watch God change and transform lives, it becomes addicting. You want to tell people about Jesus because you see Him change their life. 
So what are you given to? The, the first verse about don't be given to wine or strong drink. What are you given to? And, and I hope it's that first verse we looked at. That you're given to abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. Be addicted to sharing the gospel. And all the other addictions, you're welcome to come in the building with us. Bring your addictions. Bring your failures. Bring your struggles. There's plenty of room at the foot of the cross. 